Section 7 of The Hungry Stones and Other Stories. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Pamela Krantz. The Hungry Stones and Other Stories by Rabindranath Tagore. Translated by C. F. Andrews. The Devotee. Chapter 1. At a time when my unpopularity with a part of my readers had reached the nadir of its glory, and my name had become the central orb of the journals, to be attended through space with a perpetual rotation of revilement, I felt the necessity to retire to some quiet place and endeavor to forget my own existence. I have a house in the country some miles away from Calcutta, where I can remain unknown and unmolested. The villagers there have not as yet come to any conclusion about me. They know I am no mere holiday-maker or pleasure-seeker, for I never outrage the silence of the village nights with the riotous noises of the city. Nor do they regard me as ascetic, because the little acquaintance they have of me carries the savor of comfort about it. I am not to them a traveller, for though I am a vagabond by nature, my wandering through the village fields is aimless. They are hardly even quite certain whether I am married or single, for they have never seen me with my children. So, not being able to classify me in any animal or vegetable kingdom that they know, they have long since given me up and left me stolidly alone. But quite lately I have come to know that there is one person in the village who is deeply interested in me. Our acquaintance began on a sultry afternoon in July. There had been rain all the morning, and the air was still wet and heavy with mist, like eyelids when weeping is over. I sat lazily watching a dappled cow grazing on the high bank of the river. The afternoon sun was playing on her glossy hide. The simple beauty of this dress of light made me wonder idly at man's deliberate waste of money in setting up tailor's shops to deprive his own skin of its natural clothing. While I was thus watching and lazily musing, a woman of middle age came and prostrated herself before me, touching the ground with her forehead. She carried in her robe some bunches of flowers, one of which she offered to me with folded hands. She said to me as she offered it, This is an offering to my God. She went away. I was so taken aback as she uttered these words that I could hardly catch a glimpse of her before she was gone. The whole incident was entirely simple, but it left a deep impression on my mind, and as I turned back once more to look at the cattle in the field, the zest of life in the cow, who was munching the lush grass with deep breaths while she whisked off the flies, appeared to me fraught with mystery. My readers may laugh at my foolishness, but my heart was full of adoration. I offered my worship to the pure joy of living, which is God's own life. Then, plucking a tender shoot from the mango tree, I fed the cow with it from my own hand, and as I did this, I had the satisfaction of having pleased my God. The next year, when I returned to the village, it was February. The cold season still lingered on. The morning sun came into my room, and I was grateful for its warmth. I was writing when the servant came to tell me that a devotee of the Vishnu cult wanted to see me. 
I told him in an absent way to bring her upstairs, and went on with my writing. The devotee came in, and bowed to me, touching my feet. I found that she was the same woman whom I had met for a brief moment a year ago. I was able now to examine her more closely. She was past that age when one asks the question whether a woman is beautiful or not. Her stature was above the ordinary height, and she was strongly built, but her body was slightly bent, owing to her constant attitude of veneration. Her manner had nothing shrinking about it. The most remarkable of her features were her two eyes. They seemed to have a penetrating power which could make distance near. With those two large eyes of hers, she seemed to push me as she entered. "'What is this?' she asked. "'Why have you brought me here before your throne, my God? "'I used to see you among the trees, and that was much better. "'That was the true place to meet you.' "'She must have seen me walking in the garden without my seeing her. "'For the last few days, however, I had suffered from a cold "'and had been prevented from going out. "'I had perforce to stay indoors and pay my homage "'to the evening sky from my terrace. "'After a silent pause, the devotee said to me, Oh, my God, give me some words of good. I was quite unprepared for this abrupt request, and answered her on the spur of the moment. Good words I neither give nor receive. I simply open my eyes and keep silence, and then I can at once both hear and see, even when no sound is uttered. Now while I am looking at you, it is as good as listening to your voice. The devotee became quite excited as I spoke, and exclaimed, God speaks to me, not only with his mouth, but with his whole body. I said to her, When I am silent, I can listen with my whole body. I have come away from Calcutta here to listen to that sound. The devotee said, Yes, I know that, and therefore I have come here to sit by you. Before taking her leave, she again bowed to me and touched my feet. I could see that she was distressed, because my feet were covered. She wished them to be bare. Early next morning I came out and sat on my terrace on the roof. Beyond the line of trees southward I could see the open country chill and desolate. I could watch the sun rising over the sugar cane in the east, beyond the clump of trees at the side of the village. Out of the deep shadow of those dark trees the village road suddenly appeared. It stretched forward, winding its way to some distant villages on the horizon, till it was lost in the grey of the mist. That morning it was difficult to say whether the sun had risen or not. A white fog was still clinging to the tops of the trees. I saw the devotee walking through the blurred dawn like a mist-wraith of the morning twilight. She was singing her chant to God and sounding her cymbals. The thick haze lifted at last, and the sun, like the kindly grandsire of the village, took his seat amid all the work that was going on in home and field. When I had just settled down at my writing-table, to appease the hungry appetite of my editor in Calcutta, there came a sound of footsteps on the stair, and the devotee, humming a tune to herself, entered and bowed before me. I lifted my head from my papers. She said to me, My God, yesterday I took as sacred food what was left over from your meal. I was startled, and asked her how she could do that. Oh! she said i waited at your door in the evening while you were at dinner and took some food from your plate when it was carried out 
this was a surprise to me for every one in the village knew that i had been to europe and had eaten with europeans i was a vegetarian no doubt but the sanctity of my cook would not bear investigation and the orthodox regarded my food as polluted the devotee noticing my sign of surprise said my god why should i come to you at all if i could not take your food i asked her what her own caste people would say she told me she had already spread the news far and wide all over the village the caste people had shaken their heads but agreed that she must go her own way i found out that the devotee came from a good family in the country and that her mother was well to do and desired to keep her daughter but she preferred to be a mendicant i asked her how she made her living she told me that her followers had given her a piece of land and that she begged her food from door to door she said to me the food which i get by begging is divine after i had thought over what she said i understood her meaning when we get our food precariously as alms we remember god the giver but when we receive our food regularly at home as a matter of course we are apt to regard it as ours by right i had a great desire to ask her about her husband but as she never mentioned him even indirectly i did not question her i found out very soon that the devotee had no respect at all for that part of the village where the people of the higher castes lived they never give she said a single farthing to god's service and yet they have the largest share of god's glebe but the poor worship and starve i asked her why she did not go and live among these godless people and help them towards a better life that i said with some unction would be the highest form of divine worship i had heard sermons of this kind from time to time and i am rather fond of copying them myself for the public benefit when the chance comes but the devotee was not at all impressed she raised her big round eyes and looked straight into mine and said you mean to say that because god is with the sinners therefore when you do them any service you do it to god is that so yes i replied that is my meaning of course she answered almost impatiently of course god is with them otherwise how could they go on living at all but what is that to me my god is not there my god cannot be worshipped among them because i do not find him there i seek him where i can find him as she spoke she made obeisance to me what she meant to say was really this a mere doctrine of god's omnipresence does not help us that god is all-pervading this truth may be a mere intangible abstraction and therefore unreal to ourselves where i can see him there is his reality in my soul i need not explain that all the while she showered a devotion on me she did it to me not as an individual i was simply a vehicle of her divine worship it was not for me either to receive it or to refuse it for it was not mine but god's when the devotee came again she found me once more engaged with my books and papers what have you been doing she said with evident vexation that my god should make you undertake such drudgery whenever i come i find you reading and writing god keeps his useless people busy i answered otherwise they would be bound to get into mischief they have to do all the least necessary things in life it keeps them out of trouble the devotee told me that she could not bear the encumbrances with which day by day i was surrounded 
if she wanted to see me she was not allowed by the servants to come straight upstairs if she wanted to touch my feet in worship there were my socks always in the way and when she wanted to have a simple talk with me she found my mind lost in a wilderness of letters this time before she left me she folded her hands and said my god i felt your feet in my breast this morning oh how cool and they were bare not covered i held them upon my head for a long time in worship that filled my very being then after that pray what was the use of my coming to you yourself why did i come my lord tell me truly wasn't it a mere infatuation there were some flowers in my vase on the table while she was there the gardener brought some new flowers to put in their place the devotee saw him changing them is that all she exclaimed have you done with the flowers then give them to me she held the flowers tenderly in the cup of her hands and began to gaze at them with bent head after a few moments silence she raised her head again and said to me you never look at these flowers therefore they become stale to you if you would only look into them then your reading and writing would go to the winds she tied the flowers together in the end of her robe and placed them in an attitude of worship on the top of her head saying reverently let me carry my god with me while she did this i felt that flowers in our rooms do not receive their due meed of loving care at our hands when we stick them in vases they are more like a row of naughty schoolboys standing on a form to be punished the devotee came again the same evening and sat by my feet on the terrace of the roof i gave away those flowers she said as i went from house to house this morning singing god's name benny the headman of our village laughed at me for my devotion and said why do you waste all this devotion on him don't you know he is reviled up and down the countryside is that true my god is it true that they are hard upon you for a moment i shrank into myself it was a shock to find that the stains of printer's ink could reach so far the devotee went on benny imagined that he could blow out the flame of my devotion at one breath but this is no mere tiny flame it is a burning fire why do they abuse you my god i said because i deserved it i suppose in my greed i was loitering about to steal people's hearts in secret the devotee said now you see for yourself how little their hearts are worth they are full of poison and this will cure you of your greed when a man i answered has greed in his heart he is always on the verge of being beaten the greed itself supplies his enemies with poison our merciful god she replied beats us with his own hand and drives away all the poison he who endures god's beating to the end is saved chapter two that evening the devotee told me the story of her life the stars of evening rose and set behind the trees as she went on to the end of her tale my husband is very simple some people think that he is a simpleton but i know that those who understand simply understand truly in business and household management he was able to hold his own because his needs were small and his wants few he could manage carefully on what we had he would never meddle in other matters nor try to understand them both my husband's parents died before we had been married long and we were left alone but my husband always needed someone to be over him 
i am ashamed to confess that he had a sort of reverence for me and looked upon me as his superior but i am sure that he could understand things better than i though i had greater powers of talking of all the people in the world he held his guru thakur spiritual master in the highest veneration indeed it was not veneration merely but love and such love as his is rare guru thakur was younger than my husband oh how beautiful he was my husband had played games with him when he was a boy and from that time forward he had dedicated his heart and soul to this friend of his early days thakur knew how simple my husband was and used to tease him mercilessly he and his comrades would play jokes upon him for their own amusement but he would bear them all with long-suffering when i married into this family guru thakur was studying at Benares. my husband used to pay all his expenses i was eighteen years old when he returned home to our village at the age of fifteen i had my child i was so young i did not know how to take care of him i was fond of gossip and liked to be with my village friends for hours together i used to get quite cross with my boy when i was compelled to stay at home and nurse him alas my child god came into my life but his playthings were not ready for him he came to the mother's heart but the mother's heart lagged behind he left me in anger and ever since i have been searching for him up and down the world the boy was the joy of his father's life my careless neglect used to pain my husband but his was a mute soul he has never been able to give expression to his pain the wonderful thing was this that in spite of my neglect the child used to love me more than any one else he seemed to have the dread that i would one day go away and leave him so even when i was with him he would watch me with a restless look in his eyes he had me very little to himself and therefore his desire to be with me was always painfully eager when i went each day to the river he used to fret and stretch out his little arms to be taken with me but the bathing got was my place for meeting my friends and i did not care to burden myself with the child it was an early morning in august fold after fold of gray clouds had wrapped the midday round with a wet clinging robe i asked the maid to take care of the boy while i went down to the river the child cried after me as i went away there was no one there at the bathing got when i arrived as a swimmer i was the best among all the village women the river was quite full with the rains i swam out into the middle of the stream some distance from the shore then i heard a cry from the bank mother i turned my head and saw my boy coming down the steps calling me as he came i shouted to him to stop but he went on laughing and calling my feet and hands became cramped with fear i shut my eyes afraid to see when i opened them there at the slippery stairs my boy's ripple of laughter had disappeared forever i got back to the shore i raised him from the water i took him in my arms my boy my darling who had begged so often in vain for me to take him i took him now but he no more looked in my eyes and called mother my child god had come i had ever neglected him i had ever made him cry and now all that neglect began to beat against my own heart blow upon blow blow upon blow when my boy was with me i had left him alone 
I had refused to take him with me, and now when he is dead, his memory clings to me and never leaves me. God alone knows all that my husband suffered. If he had only punished me for my sin, it would have been better for us both. But he knew only how to endure in silence, not how to speak. When I was almost mad with grief, Guru Thakur came back. In earlier days the relation between him and my husband had been that of boyish friendship. Now my husband's reverence for his sanctity and learning was unbounded. He could hardly speak in his presence. His awe of him was so great. My husband asked his guru to try to give me some consolation. Guru Thakur began to read and explain to me the scriptures, but I do not think they had much effect on my mind. All their value for me lay in the voice that uttered them. God makes the draft of divine life deepest in the heart for man to drink, through the human voice. He has no better vessel in his hand than that, and he himself drinks his divine draft out of the same vessel. My husband's love and veneration for his guru filled our house as incense fills a temple shrine. I showed that veneration and had peace. I saw my God in the form of that guru. He used to come to take his meal at our house every morning. The first thought that would come to my mind on waking from sleep was that of his food as a sacred gift from God. When I prepared the things for his meal, my fingers would sing for joy. When my husband saw my devotion to his guru, his respect for me greatly increased. He noticed his guru's eager desire to explain the scriptures to me. He used to think that he could never expect to earn any regard from his guru himself, on account of his stupidity, but his wife had made up for it. Thus another five years went by happily, and my whole life would have passed like that. But beneath the surface some stealing was going on somewhere in secret. I could not detect it, but it was detected by the God of my heart. Then came a day when in a moment our whole life was turned upside down. It was a morning in midsummer. I was returning home from bathing, my clothes all wet, down a shady lane. At the bend of the road, under the mango tree, I met my guru Thakur. He had his towel on his shoulder and was repeating some Sanskrit verses, as he was going to take his bath. With my wet clothes clinging all about me, I was ashamed to meet him. I tried to pass by quickly and avoid being seen. He called me by my name. I stopped, lowering my eyes, shrinking into myself. He fixed his gaze upon me and said, How beautiful is your body! All the universe of birds seemed to break into song in the branches overhead. All the bushes in the lane seemed to blaze with flowers. It was as though the earth and sky and everything had become a riot of intoxicating joy. I cannot tell how I got home. I only remember that I rushed into the room where we worship God. But the room seemed empty. Only before my eyes those same gold spangles of light were dancing, which had quivered in front of me in that shady lane, on my way back from the river. Guru Thakur came to take his food that day, and asked my husband where I had gone. He searched for me, but could not find me anywhere. Ah, I have not the same earth now any longer. The same sunlight is not mine. I called on my God in my dismay, and he kept his face turned away from me. The day passed, I know not how. That night I had to meet my husband. 
but the night is dark and silent it is the time when my husband's mind comes out shining like stars at twilight i had heard him speak things in the dark and i had been surprised to find how deeply he understood sometimes i am late in the evening and going to rest on account of household work my husband waits for me seated on the floor without going to bed our talk at such times had often begun with something about our guru that night when it was past midnight i came to my room and found my husband sleeping on the floor without disturbing him i lay down on the ground at his feet my head towards him once he stretched his feet while sleeping and struck me on the breast that was his last bequest next morning when my husband woke up from his sleep i was already sitting by him outside the window over the thick foliage of the jackfruit tree appeared the first pale red of the dawn at the fringe of the night it was so early that the crows had not yet begun to call i bowed and touched my husband's feet with my forehead he sat up starting as if waking from a dream and looked at my face in amazement i said i have made up my mind i must leave the world i cannot belong to you any longer i must leave your home perhaps my husband thought that he was still dreaming he said not a word ah do hear me i pleaded with infinite pain do hear me and understand you must marry another wife i must take my leave my husband said what is all this wild mad talk who advises you to leave the world i said my guru thakur my husband looked bewildered guru thakur he cried when did he give you this advice in the morning i answered yesterday when i met him on my way back from the river his voice trembled a little he turned and looked in my face and asked me why did he give you such a behest i do not know i answered ask him he will tell you himself if he can my husband said it is possible to leave the world even when continuing to live in it you need not leave my home i will speak to my guru about it your guru i said may accept your petition but my heart will never give its consent i must leave your home from henceforth the world is no more to me my husband remained silent and we sat there on the floor in the dark when it was light he said to me let us both come to him i folded my hands and said i shall never meet him again he looked into my face i lowered my eyes he said no more i knew that somehow he had seen into my mind and understood what was there in this world of mine there were only two who loved me best my boy and my husband that love was my god and therefore it could brook no falsehood one of these two left me and i left the other now i must have truth and truth alone she touched the ground at my feet rose and bowed to me and departed end of section 7 the devotee Recording by Pamela Krantz.